Father, our, our world is loud. It's um, in an uproar. There's a lot of noise, Lord. A lot of noise. My prayer is, God, that we might, even in the midst of the noise around us, the tumult and the chaos, that we might learn to be still, that we might pray, Father, with the psalmist and say, Our hearts are not proud, O Lord. Our eyes are not haughty. We do not concern ourselves with great matters or things too wonderful for us, but we have stilled and quieted our souls like weaned children, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Father, help your people to put our hope and our trust in you, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. It's natural for children to ask for things from their parents. Do you ever remember saying to your kids, I remember my parents saying, we're thinking about it, but if you ask again, the answer will be no. In my mind, this was abuse. I um, was convinced that a thing ought to stand on its own merits and not upon whether or not they appreciated my tenacity. I remember thinking, I will never do that to my kids. Just think about it when kids call your name. Matt Chandler, a pastor up in Dallas, says his kids have done permanent brain damage to his wife. Mom, 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 mom. So that somehow that word at that tone no longer registers in her mind. She does not respond anymore. He says, I have to sort of snap my fingers and say, honey, snap out of it. They're talking to you. Give them what they want. And it's sort of... um, it's sort of maddening. Our kids used to sound a bit like cows when they would call them mom. <laughs> or like sheep, dad. You know, just constantly. It was maddening for me. And so you know what we said to them finally? We said, we're thinking about it. But if you ask again, yes, I became my parents. The ones I thought I would never be like. And it's so funny these days, though, that we're getting to the place where we really want them to call. The boy who's off at college, um, I, I'm sure several times a day, Melanie and I turn to each other and say, have, have you heard from Graham? Has anybody heard from Graham? We even turn to the kids. Have you heard from Graham? Has anybody, at least a couple of times a day, and when he calls, we're just, you know, we're, he called. We're so excited about it. And, you know, I asked Melanie, is Chase okay? You know, he's running cross country and he's got a job and he's in school and he's taking physics and all that. Like, is he okay? Does he need anything? We, we sit him down and say, if you need something, just ask us. And he's still remembering when we said, if you ask again, the answer will be no. And so we're trying um, to listen in these days when we're feeling really lonely. We hear this, this amazing, sweet voice. It sounds like the voice of a little girl, you know, and... Uh, We're trying to teach her, ask us. If you need something, ask. And she's learning and it's all good. Did you know that your heavenly father loves it when you call upon his name? Listen to Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Listen to Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. These are amazing verses. God says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord... Give yourselves no rest. And listen to this. And give him, give God no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Do you hear God 
says, bother me. Go ahead and ask. Don't be afraid to ask me. Call upon me. And this morning, I want to think with you about prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Prayer power, getting to know God again. Would you open your Bibles with me to that passage and let's stand together as we read God's word. Remember, we spent the last three weeks just thinking about how we bless God. I heard it in Jim's prayer that we bless the God who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And he talked about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Does it comfort you to know that, that all three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are actively involved in answering the prayers of God's people? So we pray in the name of the Father. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he hears us. Listen to these words. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Thank you. You may be seated. Do we really know the Lord? I, I only ask because, because sometimes you can tell by the things that make us grateful by the things for which we pray, how well we really know him. For instance, when we say thank you for something, that reveals what we really value. So if our main thanks to God relates only to material things, that would seem to say that we value the material above all else. Or if we, like God help us, like the Pharisee, are always thanking God that we're not like somebody else, That says something about the way we relate to God and the way we relate to people. So it's interesting that when Paul gives thanks for the Ephesian church, he gives thanks for spiritual things, for their faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, I'm so grateful that you trust in the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he says, I love about you that you love all the saints. You don't sort of you're not selective with your love as you relate to other Christians, but you love all of God's saints. God shows us something about our hearts in the way that we give thanks to him. And so can I just say to you that when the apostle Paul says, so now when I remember you, I'm always praying for you. And he says, I'm praying for you to know God better. He teaches us something about our lives. What he teaches us is that the essential needs of the people in our world, in our country, in our families, in our lives. The essential need is a spiritual one. The one thing everybody you know needs is to know God better because none of us knows him 
as well as we should. That's why Paul in his letter to the Philippians will say, I want to know him. And he's been serving the Lord for some 17 years at that point. He says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know him so that I can become like him. May God help us to want what he wants so that we can be who he wants us to be, so that we can do what he wants us to do. And I'm convinced we don't know him as we should. You know how I know that? Because every time there's a a leak of water that makes a shape on a wall, the news media runs to it and says it's a sign from God. It's amazing to me. Have you noticed this? I mean, some years ago, there was a Pizza Hut billboard in Waco, and there was, there was a picture of spaghetti there, and somebody looked at that spaghetti and said, Jesus, to this day, I don't see it. But they looked at the spaghetti and said, don't you see, there's his beard, and there are his eyes, and it's Jesus right there. And just this week, there's a man driving down a road in Hathaway, Louisiana, looking at the power poles, ticking them off as he goes by, and he looks up, and he sees this one, and it looks for all the world to him like Jesus on a cross. And he's just excited about it. And he, he calls the media and the media comes and they take it. That's how I got this picture. Somebody went and took a picture of it. I didn't drive to Hathaway, Louisiana. Somebody did. Put it all over the internet. This man sees And what he said was, God is speaking to me. He must want to do something in my life. He must want to answer my prayers. Can I just tell you, God does want to answer your prayers. But it seems unlikely to me that he's interested so much in making vines grow on power poles After all, he's already sent us his son. Hebrews 1 says, God has spoken to us in many ways at many different times. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. So we don't want to be like the Pharisees who are always looking for a symbol, who are always looking for a sign. Jesus said it's a wicked generation that's always looking for a sign. Here's the sign, he said. You kill this body and I'll raise it up again in three days. The sign, the one sign you and I need to see is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why. We'll look at it next week. It's because we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why we need resurrection power. And the power of God is not the power that you find in a power pool. By the way, it's not uh, economic power. It's not media power. It's not primarily political power. The power of God is resurrection power. It brings the dead back to life. Because Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And the power that makes dead people live is the power of Jesus Christ. It is resurrection power. And I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying for myself and for you that we will know God better. That we'll know him better. I saw this survey of these, uh, these uh, young adults in our country, millennials, they call them, 18 to 29. The good news is 65% of them claim to be Christians. But the statistics kind of go down from there. 65% of those who claim to be Christians... Never pray with others. 38% never pray alone. Can I just say something to you? If I know people that I've never spoken to, if I know people that I've never spoken to, then Billy Graham and I are really close. I mean, we are just, don't call him and ask him. Just trust me, okay? I mean, we are really close. I'm, I'm telling you, Gary Kubiak and I, we are like, we're like brothers. I mean, we are really, really close. See, the truth is, I don't really, I know a lot about those guys, but I don't really know those guys, and there's no sense in me pretending that I do. And if a person says, I never have talked to God in my life, isn't it odd then to say, I've become, how did we become a Christian if we never talked to him, if we never listened to his word? 68%, the last one is the most telling, do not mention God when asked about what is really, what's really important in your life. And 68% of those who claim to be Christians said, nothing about God. 
Now, I'm not trying to be critical. I hope I don't sound too negative this morning. What I want to say to you is that kind of faith is not the saving kind of faith. The faith that has no interest in talking to God, listening to Him, being with His people, and doesn't think He's an important part of your life, that is not saving faith. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm thankful for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for your love for all the saints. You can't get enough of each other. You want to be with God's people. He says, that's what makes me say, I want you to know him better. And what would it be like? What would it look like if you and I got to know God better? We would know his hope, Paul says. We would know his riches, Paul says. We would know his power. We would know the hope of his calling in our lives. And the good news is this hope is is rooted, deeply rooted in the fact that God speaks to us. Can you imagine God knows us? He actually knows us and he still speaks to us. He wants to talk with us. He calls us. It's what the theologians call an effectual calling. That is, God calls us in such a way that even in the call of his voice, he is empowering us to know him, to believe in him, to turn from our sins, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's effectual calling. That is when God calls, when God calls us, we hear his voice and we respond to him. Only God can reveal God. So he says, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that God will give you, the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and open the eyes of your heart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So that you may know him better. Only God can reveal God to us. It's through his calling that you and I find hope. I was reading this week about Harry Ironside. Some of you know that name. He was a preacher of another generation. And when he was a young preacher, he uh, encountered a man named Andrew Fraser who was very sick with tuberculosis. They called it consumption back then. And he went to see this man who could barely breathe. And the man, he had never met him before, this man said to him, do you have your Bible with you? I understand you want to be a preacher. Ironside said, yes, I do. And the young preacher opened his Bible and the older gentleman with his tuberculosis opened his And he said, let me share with you some things from God's word. And he just began to share. And he said, Ironside, after a period of time, tears started streaming down his face. And he said, where did you get this? What book can I read to get this? Because he had never heard these insights into the Bible before in his life. He said, what book did you get? What books have you read that you got these? I need those books. And Fraser said to him, young man, I didn't get this from a book. I got this on my knees in a mud hut in the north of Ireland when I opened my Bible before God and said, teach me about yourself. And it was the Holy Spirit who gave me this insight. It wasn't as good as education can be. And by the way, if you're going into ministry, get all the education you can get. I'm a firm believer in that. But at the end of the day, it's the Spirit of God who reveals God to us. And it's the Holy Spirit, he says, who will open the eyes of your heart so that you will become hopeful people. What this means is that God's people are not the curmudgeons of the culture. We're not the ones who are walking around all the time talking about how bad the world is. We are hopeful people. I, I love what one, uh, one leader of another country said. He, he said, I'm not optimistic, but I am hopeful because even though there's some really wicked and bad people in our world, and it looks like sometimes they're going to win, if you look back through history, he said, every one of them has bitten the dust. Every one of them has. And at the end of the day, the Lord Jesus Christ is still seated on his throne. And so we lift our eyes and say, look who has come to the world. And we acknowledge and we become hopeful people. We're not, we're not down in the mouth, but we're, we're lifting our eyes to the God who has the power to change things. We have the hope of his calling. So no matter what else is going on in the world, the truth is we are hopeful because God has called us. I, re- I remember right after we, we, uh, had Casey move into our home and um, she was, you know, getting involved in church and that was kind of new to her. And she got in this little choir that was singing uh, with Dave and Jess Ray on that little children's album. I think it was the second of our doorpost songs albums where they just sing scripture. 
And she came in one night and she said, this song is my favorite song. We said, well, play it for us. And it's right out of Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah chapter 29, where it says, I know the plans I have for you. Think about this kid who's wondering about her future. And it says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not evil. Plans to prosper you and give you hope and a future. And I remember thinking, I know why she loves that song. Because it's the scripture that says God is the God who gives us hope. What did Emily Dickinson, the poet, say? Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in your soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all and never stops at all. That is hope. Hope is this this. This continuing trust in God that says God is working. God is working all things. God is working all things together. God is working all things together for good. For whom? For those who love him. For those who are, here it is, called according to his purpose. The hope of his calling. You get to know God better. You're going to know hope. You're going to know the hope of his calling. A friend of mine lost his dad some years ago. His dad was a, a guy who was always breaking into my house. He was always breaking my house because... I was always locking myself out of my house and he was the deacon who came and broke into my house and helped me get in. And I always wondered where he got that skill, but I never asked him. And then one day he was on a family picnic out in West Texas and just one minute he was talking with his family and the next minute he was talking with Jesus. He just went home to be with the Lord. And I called his son because we were just all sort of shocked and I, I called his son and I said, how are you doing in the loss of your father? And he said, pastor, I just keep hearing these words in my head. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Can I ask you, what ground are you standing on if it isn't Jesus Christ? Where have you put your hope if it's not in Him? We can't put our hope in temporal things because temporal things fade. We can't put our hope in people because people will let us down. We can't even put our hope in our, dare I say, in our sports teams because, you know, if they, if they win, they don't win by enough and that disappoints us. And if, if they lose, well, that's even worse, you know, and it's just, it's just sort of, you can't put your hope in, in things or in people, but you can put your hope in Christ because Jesus never fails. You know God, you'll know the hope of his calling. You'll know the riches of his inheritance, which is in the saints. Did you know you already have your inheritance because the Holy Spirit is the down payment. Remember last week? The Holy Spirit is the down payment guaranteeing God will make you His inheritance and you will live with Him forever. You've already got that assurance in the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes you, regardless of what's in your bank account, that makes you a very wealthy person because you have the riches of his inheritance. And we have this to offer to the world. Ken Chafin, who pastored here in town some years ago, was with one of his deacons, and they drove up to this palatial home. It was a magnificent house, had beautiful cars in the driveway, and the deacon, no kidding, leaned over to his pastor and said, we don't have anything to offer to these people, do we? And he was deadly serious. He thought because they had stuff. Can we just testify this morning that stuff can be like salt water? It doesn't satisfy the deepest need in your souls. He, he says this riches of his inheritance, it's not anything material. Think about the prodigal son who had all the material goods and spends it all because that's what happens with stuff sometimes. And he comes back to his father. And it's not that he gets a robe. You know, it's not, nowhere does it say he looked at his robe and said, wow, this is a really nice robe. Or his shoes. Or even his ring on his finger. The deal is, he gets his dad back. He gets to come home to his father, and he rejoices in relationship. And the reason the older brother in that story in Luke chapter 15 can't rejoice is because he's got two-thirds of the inheritance. Remember what it says? His father divided the inheritance. 
So he already had his dad's stuff, but he doesn't have his dad because he doesn't relate to his dad as a father. He sees himself as his dad's employee and says, I'm, I'm, I've been slaving all these years. He doesn't even know what it's like to be a son. I want you and I to know what it means to be the sons and daughters of God, to, to celebrate with the saints through the ages and to know this is our inheritance. We are his inheritance. We are his possession. We belong to him. This ought to cause our hearts to rejoice greatly. Then spiritually, we would be able to live at the level of our spiritual means, which are, by the way, enormous. I read this week about these two brothers in the country of Hungary. Now, outside of Budapest, they lived in a cave. They sold scrap metal and candy to make enough uh, money to live. And one day, some social workers came to them and said, your, your grandmother, your maternal grandmother passed away, and you have become heirs to her $6.6 billion inheritance. And in one day, they moved from a cave to a castle. And if you and I understood what we have in Jesus Christ, we would no longer be cave dwellers. We would live with the assurance that in God we have everything we need. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And how do we get this, he says? How do we get this hope and these riches? How do we get this power, he says? God gives this power to those who... Who believe. He's already been thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus. It's their, the means of access to the power that we need for our lives is faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. Remember Jesus marveling at the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8? And he says, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Because that centurion said, I'm also a man under power. You who've been in the military understand this. That there are ranks and that you understand. If the, if the commanding officer says go, you go because that's just the way it is. And this man understands that. He recognizes Jesus' authority. And Jesus says, now that's faith. If you believe that I can do what I say I can do and you just trust me and you don't even ask me to come, you just say, say the word and it will be done. That's real faith. And when we have that kind of faith, then we begin to access the power of God in our lives. But the faith has to be in the Lord Jesus. I want you to see that. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's a, here's a way that we can sort of discern the spirits in our culture. Because a lot of people are talking about God right now. And a lot of people are talking about Jesus. But if they can't say Jesus Christ is Lord, then that's a sign of something. Because it's not, and if they can't say Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that's a sign of something. It's not enough. Jesus said many people in the last days will say, Lord, Lord. And I will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's not enough just to say the word, but to make him the Lord of your life is to acknowledge he's the sovereign king over all the universe. It's resurrection power because that's what we need when we're dead in our trespassing sins. It's exalted power. He says, verse 19, he exhausts the Greek language to show us the kind of power that he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like, listen to this, that power, that dunamis, dunamite, is like the working, that's inner guion, the energy of his Mighty strength. Four words for power there. Power and uh, working and um, mighty and strength. And he says, where do you see that power? He exerted it when he raised Christ from the dead. It's resurrection power. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies. Do you hear that? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. He says, God who raised his son Jesus from the dead will also raise us. We've got resurrection power. We've got ascended power that's above. He says all things that have ever been and ever will be. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. 
He is the one who holds all things together. Paul writes in a similar letter to the Colossians, Jesus is the glue that holds the universe together. And we can believe that he's the one who will hold us together. So I wasn't disturbed this week. I have to tell you, when Stephen Hawking came out and said God didn't create the world, I always love that in the Bible when people vote on whether or not God can do what he's already done. You know, it always sort of you know, amuses me. And you know, Stephen Hawking said, yeah, well, God didn't create the world. There's a little quote there. Spontaneous creation is the reason there's something rather than nothing. Spontaneous creation. He talks about how the law of gravity made creation inevitable. Really, well, who made the law of gravity? Can I just ask because I need to know. I need to know, and I love Sir Isaac Newton, who sat in the same chair at that same university many years ago, who said this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being, capital B. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as the Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God. It's our faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ that unleashes his power in our lives and shows us that he is sovereign over all things. And here's the good news. This one who fills all things in every way wants to fill his church, which is his body. I don't mean he wants to fill the building. That's great too, but he wants to fill us. We are the church. He wants to fill us with himself. And when he fills us with himself, we will no longer be satisfied and contented with the things of this world, of things we will have had our fill. And still, as we hunger still, we will find in his fullness all the fullness we need. I love the story of John Kronstadt, that Russian priest who walked the streets of Moscow finding people. There's a great problem with alcoholism. We'll come in Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He says, but the people had an alcoholism problem and they wouldn't come to the church. But many of the priests were waiting for them to come to the church. But John Kronstadt went to the people and he would find them in their misery, in their brokenness, and he would lift them up and say, this is beneath your dignity. You were made to be filled with God. What if we went to our broken world and reached down and picked the people up and said to them, this is beneath your dignity. You were made to be filled with God. And what if God fills? I saw a survey recently, a Barna survey. 84% of evangelical Christians said, we have not tasted or seen the presence of God in the last 10 years. 84% of evangelical Christians said, we just, we're not hearing anything from God. We're not seeing God. We're not listening. Can I just say something to you? If you want to know God better, if you want those for whom you pray to know God better, you want them to know hope and riches and power, spiritual power, believe me when I say, if you ask God again, The answer will always be yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place, for your great power for us who believe, for your love for the church. God, help us to love the church as you love the church. Lord, help us to see ourselves as a part of this community of joy. Lord, draw to yourself all whom you want to draw today. Our answer to you is yes. We thank you for Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the power that transforms lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would change us, that you would renew our minds, that you would make us new. And I know as I ask it, you're the only one who can. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.